Okay, welcome to the D-Hypno program. This is William Ramsey. I think this is episode 5. I'll be reading from the Sirhan Sirhan timeline, so this will be the second or part 2 of reading this paper that was put together by <clears throat> Jim Garrison Keeler, who I did an interview with. Yesterday on my show, William Ramsey Investigates, I talked with uh, Todd Wood about an interesting character that overlaps with Sirhan Sirhan. His name was William Joseph Bryan. And was pretty clearly one of the CIA mind control hypnosis specialists. And he had connections to the process church, all kinds of strange stuff. Kind of like around the same area where uh, Lewis Jolly and West was. So kind of an interesting guy. Not a lot of people know about him. But uh, he's covered in a lot of those books. He was covered in this one book. There are three kind of major books about the RFK assassination. And he was mentioned in... In one of them, but all three of those books, whether it's the Lisa Peace book, Tim Tate book, or the other two guys whose names I can't remember right now, all those books they have chapters on kind of you know MK Ultra mind programming, hypnosis, whatever. So um, if you want to, you can listen to the earlier show on the Sirhan Sirhan timeline. But based upon how many pages this is, it'll probably be a full three hours of uh, me talking about it, but here we go. Picking up from where I left, last off, left off last time. It is also important to examine the instruction method Amork would have used with a new member such as Sirhan. As the Rosicrucian Manual explicitly states, the mere payment of the monthly dues without giving any thought to the studies, without attempting to render service to others and live the progressive, constructive life of a true Rosicrucian, will not constitute good standing in the order. Members are therefore urged to report back to their lodge with regular reports of their progress, including examinations with feedback from lodge secretaries. The manual is quite unequivocal about this. We have to wonder to what extent Sirhan was receiving personalized instruction in this manner, and if the manual is correct, he would not have lasted very long as a member without this instruction. We must remember that this was a correspondence course, and Sirhan could have pursued these studies while living in Norco. This was probably ideal for Sirhan, who was shy and self-conscious and not always able to go to regular Amork meetings. As the manual states, when a new member is accepted into Amork, they receive six weeks of private, personalized instruction from a master. The member and the master are in intimate contact through mail correspondence, and this involves lectures, discourses, instructions, and so forth. At the end of the six weeks of the new member's work is sufficient, and he is admitted to the first grade of the neophyte studies. In the first grade, there are 12 weeks of personalized private lectures and lessons that are meant to communicate the esoteric teachings, objective and cosmic consciousness, the brain and mind, mystic symbolism, experiments in developing psychic consciousness, etc. Again, we have to wonder whether Sirhan received this intimate instruction, and if so, how it affected him. By all accounts, he was a devoted practitioner of the Amork teachings, and we must assume he took full advantage of the membership, especially since Amork received a fair share of what little money he earned. The Rosicrucian system seems designed to enmesh the student in a deeply involving mystical course of study with promises of ancient wisdom. Sirhan would have felt that he was learning the secrets of cosmic consciousness and that these esoteric practices would help him attain mastery of his life and the actions of others towards him. He would have felt that this course of study would surely bring him his dream of becoming a jockey and winning at the track. So whatever the influence on Sirhan of Kennedy's support for Israel which would only have affected Sirhan in spring of 1968 at the earliest, 
We cannot forget that from mid-1966, Sirhan was involved in a profoundly affecting and addictive cult that promised everything he ever wanted from life. Once we remember that he was also a gambling addict, spending much of his money at the horse races, we have a better understanding of the strange blend of desperation, mysticism, and trauma that was swirling around in his head from 1966 to 1968. Dr. Bernard Diamond, who was a witness for Sirhan's defense, interviewed and hypnotized Sirhan multiple times in the beginning of 1969. Diamond diagnosed Sirhan with paranoid schizophrenia and believed that Sirhan had learned how to hypnotize himself without realizing it. He attested that Sirhan himself had blamed the Amoric teachings for his tendency to do this. In 1969, he told the LA Times that Sirhan admitted under hypnosis that he was, hypnosis that he was doing crazy writing and he was doing it for practice and mind control. Sirhan said he was hypnotized by the mirror, my mirror, my mirror, when he wrote in his notebooks in his room, and said he was taught by a mork. Diamond, accompanied by Dr. Seymour Pollock, hypnotized Sirhan and caused him to go into a violent rage, which he reenacted the murder, then forgot the entire event. Despite Diamond's claim, Sirhan never demonstrated to others how he was able to hypnotize himself. Amork denied that they had any contact with Sirhan other than his initial application. This must have been a lie, since there is evidence that he received instructional materials from them. But none of their teachings involve self-hypnosis. The entire goal is to master and control others, and to control oneself and one's own destiny. So it's hard to see how Sirhan could blame a correspondence course with Amork for the strange ability to hypnotize himself unaided, which he never seemed to do after the assassination. And in three years of evaluation in 2008, Dr. Daniel Brown never found evidence of paranoid schizophrenia. So it seems that Diamond's testimony, on the contrary, demonstrates how easy it was for others to control and manipulate Sirhan. Sirhan's reenactment of slaying described March 25, 1969. June 2, 1966. Sirhan begins working as an exercise boy at Granja Vista del Rio Ranch in Norco, owned by Bert Altfilish. His salary is $250 per month. When Sirhan is hired at the Altfilish ranch, he sends his mother $10 and tells her to take care of his mail. The next day, he comes home and takes his own mail, which includes a pamphlet from the Amork. During his residence in Norco, Sirhan is possibly attending the Circle City Church at 9th and Sheridan in Corona, whose pastor is Reverend Leo Hill. According to LAPD interviews, Sirhan meets fellow horse groomer Tom Rathke while working at this ranch. Rathke is a member of the Theosophical Religion and the two discuss the differences between Theosophy and the Amork. Altfelish's ranch is next door to the 45-acre Corona breeding farm owned by Desi Arnaz. Sirhan writes in his notebook, I have secured a position as assistant to the manager of Corona breeding farm, Desi Arnaz's, even though he will later testify in court that he, can never, that he never even applied to work there and was not interested in doing so. He writes $600 per month, even though he has never earned that much in his life. This may be a technique Sirhan, Sirhan has learned from Rosicrucian literature. See entry for April, May 1968. According to the Rosicrucian theory, by writing down goals and envisioning what you want to happen, one can affect one's future. Perhaps making $600 a month working for a Hollywood celebrity was one of Sirhan's goals, but in the trial he has no recollection of writing this in his notebook. According to Arnez's farm manager, Charles Zoller, Arnez raises horses at his ranch and sends them to Alt, the Altfilish ranch to be trained, and Sirhan has never been employed by Arnez. 
Some theorists looking for mafia connections to the assassination have claimed that Sirhan was employed by Arnez, who was friends with mobster Mickey Cohen, who was heavily involved in running the ranch and had access to Sirhan, but there is no evidence to support this. The automatic writing clearly begins at the same time that Sirhan gets the job at Grania Vista del Rio and joins a morgue. Sirhan will later tell author Robert Blair Kaiser that he learned how to do his automatic writing through a morgue, but he is desperate not to blame them in any way for the assassination. There's little evidence of a morgue recommending the kinds of trance writing that Sirhan is doing, however. According to co-workers Peggy Osterkamp and others, while working at the ranch, Sirhan uses foul language, uses the phrase dirty Jews, treats the horses poorly, does not like living in narco, and speaks admiringly of Napoleon and Hitler and other tyrannical leaders. Peggy Osterkamp's name and address appear in Sirhan's notebook, with the phrase I love you written over and over. At the trial, he claims that he was interested in the pronunciation of her name, because in Arabic there is no P sound and the G is very different. But as for the phrase I love you, he says, I don't know, sir, I cannot account for any of this. He writes Peggy Sirhan repeatedly. He writes the name and address of co-worker Gwendolyn Gum, along with the phrase abuse, abuse. At the trial, he will not remember any of this writing. He was surely doing trance writing before the accident and may have been under the influence of a programmer quite early. This programmer presumably would have been teaching him to write things that were in his subconscious or doing the kinds of experiments we see in MK Ultra files. The word abuse, as well as the testimony of many people who knew or met Sirhan, suggests that he felt that he was being abused and had an inferiority complex. These traits were badly exacerbated after the accident, but they were present beforehand. Of course, if he were actually being abused in some kind of psychological experimentation, this trance writing and his nervous behavior at his doctor appointments would be understandable. Near Peggy Osterkamp's name, Sirhan writes, The Law of Mentalism. This is from a 1908 book of occult teachings called The Cabalion, which contains seven hermetic principles. The first law, the law of mentalism, states the following. This is from Cabalion.org. Quote, this principle embodies the truth that all is mind. It explains the, the all, which is the substantial reality underlying all outward manifestations and appearances, which we know under the terms of the material universe, the phenomena of life, matter, energy, and in short, all that is apparent to our material senses is spirit, which in itself is unknowable and undefinable, but which may be considered and thought of as an universal, infinite living mind. It also explains that all the phenomenal world or universe is simply a mental creation of the all, subject to the laws of things, a law of created things, and that the universe as a whole, and in its parts or units, has its existence in the mind of the all, in which mind we live and move and have our being. This principle, by establishing the mental universe, mental nature of the universe, easily explains all of the varied mental and psychic phenomena that accompany occupy such a large portion of the public attention, and which, without such explanation, are non-understandable and defy scientific treatment. An understanding of this great hermetic principle of mentalism enables the individual to readily grasp the laws of the mental universe and to apply the same to his well-being and advancement. The hermetic stu student is enabled to apply intelligently the great mental laws instead of using them in a haphazard manner. With the the entire master key in his possession, the student may unlock the many doors of the mental and psychic temple of knowledge and enter the same freely and intelligently. This principle explains the true nature of energy, power, and matter, and why and how all of these are subordinate to the mastery of mind. One of the old hermetic masters wrote long ages ago, quote, 
He who grasps the, grasps the truth of the mental nature of the universe is well advanced on the path to mastery. Unquote. And these words are as true today as at the time they were first written. Without this master key, mastery is impossible, and the student knocks in vain at the many doors of the temple. Whatever the influence of the seven hermetic principles had on Sirhan, the important milestone to recognize is the following. Sirhan's automatic writing began when he arrived in Norco and got a job at Alphalish's ranch. He later will have no conscious memory of much of this writing and cannot say how or why he began doing this writing. Importantly, though, it corresponds with his membership in the Amork and his obsession with their dubious teachings. According to his application to Amork, he has been studying metaphysics and the occult for three years. So if he was telling the truth, he has been steeped in these teachings since 1963 when he first enrolled at Pasadena City College. <clears throat> also near Peggy Osterkamp's name in one of his notebooks, Sirhan seems to have transcribed a speech or memo from Dr. R.H. Spencer Lewis, founder of Amork in America. In this writing, Lewis is defending Amork's practice of requiring members to pay dues, since the society is not a church, but an institution like other schools, and like other schools, needs payments for its classes. Among his trance writing from this period, just underneath some of his Peggy Osterkamp scribblings, is the phrase, Sirhan Sirhan must begin to work on the problems and difficulties of assassinating the 36th president of the glorious United States, Lyndon Johnson. Elsewhere, he writes, Ambassador Goldberg must die. Meet me at the airport. This could date from the time of the Six-Day War in June of 1967. Goldberg was the United States ambassador to the UN and drafted an agreement that did not obligate Israel to withdraw from the Arab territories they had captured. Lisa Peace hypothesizes that at this early stage, long before Kennedy has declared his candidacy for president, Sirhan is being trained for other possible assassination attempts. The phrase, meet me at the airport, probably relates to a trip he was planning to visit Tom Rathke, mentioned below. Also at this time, Sirhan writes, Corona Breeding Farm, and please pay to the order of, repeatedly. He writes, Kenmore, which is a street in midtown Los Angeles that intersects with Western Avenue. He also writes, Kelvinator, a mid-century mid brand of home appliances. He writes, Today I must drive home in a new car. Today I must plan to drive home in a new, new Mustang. Some of what he writes appears to be snatches of conversation. Where do you usually hang around at Hollywood Park? Or statements he has heard on TV. Must be aware of her commitment to their allies. He seems to be obsessed with money, writing the word cash repeatedly. Writing, hello Tom, perhaps you could use the enclosed money repeatedly. The idea of a trip to Pleasanton is repeated with the phrase, how will I contact you after I arrive at the airport and come up sometime Tuesday? This is clearly regarding his friend Tom Rathke, who was working as a horse groom at Alameda County Fairgrounds in Pleasanton in Northern California at the time of the assassination. It is not clear if this trip ever took place. Strangely, Sirhan will write in his notebook, I believe that I can affect the death of Bert C. Altfilish. This is on a page that is covered with the phrase, Kennedy must fall, meaning that a year and a half after Sirhan ends his job with Altfilish in spring 1968, Sirhan is doing trance writing about killing his former boss. The other possibility, which is remote, is that Sirhan was planning to murder Kennedy in 1966, two years before he entered the presidential race. For about six weeks in 1966, Sirhan lives at the Highlander Hotel at 1880 West 5th Street in Norco, with an alcoholic named Edward Van Antwerp. Sirhan sleeps on the couch in their one-bedroom apartment. 
Sirhan first meets Antwerp at the Mary Note Cafe in Norco. Antwerp is an employee at the Thermal Comergy Company on Hellman Road in the nearby town of Eastvale. They both then move to a house at 2095th Street in Norco. According to Antwerp's sister, Sirhan is a very close friend of Edward and takes care of him during his drunken periods. Sirhan is very determined to get Edward to stop drinking and takes him to several AA meetings. Sirhan seems polite at this time and not particularly interested in politics. On the day of Kennedy's assassination, Antwerp went missing after going to work in the morning and his wife did not know where he was, presuming he was on one of his drunks. He was located around December in near Eureka, California, when he sent a postcard to his sister Genevieve Taylor. The postcard revealed that he was living with Willard Chisholm in Hoopa, California, and that he didn't want anyone to know where he was. Both of Sirhan's living places at this time are within walking distance from the California Rehabilitation Center. Antwerp, later interviewed by the FBI, recalls Sirhan saying he wanted to make it big and rich in the horse racing profession. Antwerp remembers Sirhan drinking large quantities of tea. At the Granja del Rio, Sirhan befriends horse trainer uh, named Henry Ramistella, who is barred from working at the racetracks and also goes by the names Frank Roma and Frank Donorama. In the LAPD files, there is a warrant issued to Ramistella from Corona Multiple Court, Municipal Court for failing to report weekends. He has been arrested for driving without a license, for which he was sentenced to three years of probation. His prior narcotics and petty larceny arrests in New York. He was denied a stable license in 1960 and later denied a license in New Jersey. He was suspended again in 1966 while working at Santa Anita under the name Frank Donorauma when the association found out his real name. In September 1967, he bought a 1962 Lincoln Continental and eight months later had it repossessed for failing to make payments. When Sirhan knows him, Ramistella is living with Bert Altfelish, and according to LAPD files, it was Ramistella who actually hired Sirhan. Several months after hiring Sirhan, Ramistella became a heavy drinker and was fired. At some point, Sirhan wrote Donorama repeatedly in his notebook, along with his first name, Frank, and please, and pay to the order of Sirhan the amount of $5. One co-worker of Sirhan's at Granja del Rio, whose name is redacted in FBI files, remembered that Sirhan had a terrible anger problem and thought some of the horses were stupid. Sirhan would kick and punch the horses when he lost his temper. This individual remembered Sirhan as being knowledgeable about politics and gentlemanly in his behavior. A gardener at the Granja del Rio later recalled that Sirhan lived in Corona with a married couple and that the wife was a waitress at the pancake house and the husband worked at a ranch. June 23, 1966. Sirhan applies to be a member of the Rosicrucian Order, a morgue. The application requests applicants to kindly state your motive. Under this section, Sirhan writes, quote, By reading your book, Mastery of Life, I have discovered how much I do not know about myself despite all the philosophical works I have been reading. I sincerely want to better myself, and on that basis I submit my application, unquote. On the application, Sirhan states that he's been studying metaphysics, psychology, and philosophy for three years. June 26, 66. Sirhan's salary is raised from $250 to $275 per month. July 31st, 66. Sirhan's salary is raised to $300 per month. August 21st, 66. Sirhan's salary is raised to $350 per month. September 18th, 1966, Sirhan's salary is raised to three seventy five a month. 1966, J.C. King, former CIA agent, forms the Amazon Natural Drug Company, 
which provides South American pharmaceuticals to the CIA for mind-altering purposes. These are used on human subjects in CIA experiments. September 25th, 66. In a catastrophic, life-changing accident, Sirhan falls from a horse at the Alfvillish farm and is taken to, to Corona Community Hospital. According to horse owner Millard Sheets, it is a foggy morning and there are two horses riding on the track when Sirhan crashes into a fence. Sheets claims to be the first person to reach Sirhan after the fall. According to Milton Holmes, Sheets' horse Bug Bomb is being worked out by Sirhan, and the crash occurs just after Sirhan crosses the finish line at the track when he enters a thick fog bank. Since Sirhan is not moving, Holmes runs to call the ambulance while Sheets runs to Sirhan. Holmes remembers that Sirhan has blood in his ear when the ambulance arrives. According to the fall, regarding the fall, ranch employee Larry Heineman claims that he and not Millard Sheets arrived first to help Sirhan first after his fall. Heineman places Sirhan's return to work at a week after the fall. According to assistant manager Forrest Younger, after the fall, Larry Heineman came to ask him to call an ambulance for Sirhan. On the way to the hospital, Larry Heineman rides in the ambulance with Sirhan, and Younger follows in his truck. When they arrive at the hospital in Corona, Sirhan appears very excitable and scared. The doctor asks Sirhan to take off his clothes for an exam, and Sirhan refuses. Younger and Heineman have to take Sirhan into another room, and at length, they succeed in removing his clothes. The doctor then tries to give Sirhan an injection, and Sirhan refuses. According to Younger, Sirhan returns to work two weeks later when the doctor allows him to return. At Corona Community Hospital, nurse Patricia Kramer tends to Sirhan. He is not badly injured, and she gives him some prescribed medication. She notices he is a little scraped up. Dr. Paul Deeb, radiologist, examines Sirhan's x-rays and decides Sirhan has not received a concussion. Nurse William White tends to Sirhan and notices that Sirhan's main source of pain is in his eyes and that they are full of dirt and sand. There is blood on his face but nowhere else. White cleans Sirhan's eyes and face. He notices that with considerable coaxing, Sirhan's friends convince him to allow a tetanus shot to be administered. What is notable is, one, how scared, confused, and haunted Sirhan appears to be, according to those who treat him after the fall, and two, how everything went blank when he fell, as we see below. According to an interview with Sirhan on August 15, 67, this is a very interesting interview since it is only the only known interview of Sirhan from before the assassination. He states, quote, The morning of the said date, I was breezing a filly. In other words, I was asking her to run as far as she could. I was riding the horse. It was a very foggy morning that day. A few seconds after I had started the, started the filly, I was down. She threw me. I don't know how I fell when everything went blank. The people who were watching me couldn't see what happened due to the fog. I was taken by ambulance to the hospital, Corona Community Hospital. I was treated by Dr. Richard Nelson. He had applied some stitches to what he claimed excessive bleeding. He applied about three to the lower right side of my chin, and I don't know how many in the left eye. They took a series of x-rays, and at that time I was not fully conscious. I started to come to when I felt the coldness of the platform or table they had put me on. I realized something was wrong with my eyes at the moment I started to come to. When he started to insert the stitching needle in my eye, and I more or less was much against that. I didn't like the stitch to be put there. He insisted that it was necessary. I didn't know the gravity of the wound, but I thought it wasn't necessary to be stitched. I couldn't see myself, and he just told me it was necessary. He wanted to keep me in the hospital for a week, but I didn't like the idea. I did stay overnight. 
He remembers many details about his treatment, but not the fall itself, and will not remember any of the writing he is doing at this time. Sirhan later says that he lost consciousness during the fall and regained consciousness in Corona Community Hospital when his wounds were being sutured. According to Alphilish, Sirhan did try to organize the other exercise boys to work a certain number of hours per day and to only exercise boy work. Dr. Richard Nelson, who treats Sirhan, tells FBI that he recalls Sirhan as a person who appeared as though he was afraid of someone was going to do him harm and was very nervous and apprehensive about any treatment being given to him. He would not stay in the hospital, but one day, although the doctor recommended four days, he returned to work and his injuries were only of a laceration type and were not serious. He later complained to Redacted, referred him to Redacted. The Argonaut Insurance Company's 146-page file on Sirhan is redacted in the FBI files. Dr. Daniel Brown, after interviewing Sirhan and his family and friends and reviewing hospital records in 2008, will later conclude that Sirhan went missing for two weeks after the fall from the horse and that Sirhan was taken to an unidentified hospital and that his personality change resulted from whatever was done to him there and not from any head injury. Other doctors' testimonies in the EEG indicate that Sirhan had no brain injury from the fall. Brown believes that it was stage and drug-induced. Dr. Brown claims that Sirhan remembered a prison-like hospital where he drifted in and out of consciousness for two weeks. Although there are some accounts that he did not return to work for two weeks, there are other witnesses who claim they saw Sirhan both at work and elsewhere between September 25th and, and October 10th. This two weeks of missing time may be referred to the period from November 16th to December 2nd, when Sirhan went to work at the Del Mar racetrack before returning to the Alphalish ranch to work. Sirhan's time is accounted for, though, and it is hard to find a time when he was missing for two weeks, unless it is after he quit his job in Corona on December 10th. Sirhan's extreme nervousness at the hospital after a fall that did not injure his brain at all may be a sign of some kind of post-traumatic stress stemming from his childhood. But it is the first sign of, of the anxiety, anger, frustration, and depression that would dominate his personality hereafter. Sirhan's many subsequent horse-riding accidents after this event show that his motor skills declined, as well as his mental health. The fact that he had an emotional breakdown so soon after the accident shows that perhaps the change had already begun to happen to him, and this change in Sirhan may have been the cause of the fall in the first place. Was Sirhan exposed to an individual or group who had already begun to influence him? The fact that Sirhan's alcoholic roommate, Edward Van Antwerp, disappeared so suddenly on the day of FK's assassination, and then begged his sister not to tell anybody his whereabouts, is cause for speculation. Did the two of them, ideal candidates for MK-Ultra or MK-Search-style experiments, become test subjects together? Both of these men were very poor and could easily have been persuaded to take part in something of this nature, nature for some extra cash. At one of the AA meetings Sirhan went to with Antwerp, could there have been a recruiter? An AA meeting would be a good place to pick up people for specific experiments involving people with vulnerable, addictive personalities. Was the California Rehabilitation Center involved? There is no evidence of any MKUltra projects taking place there, but it would be the perfect place for such experiments. The inmate riot that destroyed many of the facilities in 1968 does not give us confidence that all was well at the facility. There is also no evidence of any CIA projects taking place at Corona, Corona Community Hospital, but we must remember the vast majority of MKUltra documents were supposedly destroyed in 1973. 
Could the petty thief Henry Ramastella have gotten Sirhan involved in MK Ultra style program? Could he have been a federal informant? We know very little about Ramastella or Antwerp, so it is hard to answer these questions. Antwerp seems to have completely disappeared after the FBI interviewed him in 1969, vanishing into the small towns of the northern coast. Did he know something that he shouldn't have known about Sirhan and his programming? On the morning of the assassination, did he know what Sirhan was going to do? Was he trying to avoid the authorities? Of course, Robert Kennedy will not announce his candidacy until March 16, 1968, so it will be impossible for anyone to program Sirhan to kill him until that time. Could Sirhan have been simply a test subject for almost two years before someone decided that he would be the perfect Manchurian candidate? It would be best to use someone who's already proven to be programmable, so this scenario, scenario actually makes some sense. Much of... Much has been made of RFK's aggressive stance toward organized crime and the Mafia's motives to kill him, but there's no evidence that the Mafia had any contact with Siron, and certainly, they certainly did not have the programming capabilities of the CIA, who had been developing these capabilities since 1952, at the latest. According to Sirhan's mother and his friend and co-worker, fellow exercise boy Terry Welch, Sirhan went missing for two weeks after the fall from the horse. According to Terry Welch's statement to the FBI, he was Sirhan's closest friend during his time in Norco. Before the accident, Sirhan was well-mannered, thrifty, neat, clean, intelligent, generous to his friends, and frugal, saving his checks for weeks before cashing them. Sirhan went to the bars with his friends, although he didn't drink. After the fall, Sirhan became a loner. After the fall, Sirhan often visited other farms during his off hours and was curious and able to discuss many different subjects. Sirhan later describes his horse-riding experience to NBC News. I loved it. That was the most enjoyable experience of my life. Horses. According to Welch, after the fall, Sirhan went out of his mind. Something was preying on his mind. Welch's characterization of Sirhan's relationship with Altfilish is much better than any other account. Welch claims that Altfilish offered Sirhan an administrative job at the farm because he was so impressed with him. Welch also claims that Sirhan was well-known by TV personalities Buddy Ebsen, Desi Arnaz, and Dale Robertson, all of whom took their horses to the Alfalish Ranch to be trained. According to Henry Ramostella, Sirhan did not complain of any health problems after his fall. Ramostella apparently observed Sirhan for some time following the accident and finds his behavior no different from before. He echoes the claim that Sirhan was released from the hospital the day after the fall. Ramostella remembers Sirhan having an argument with two Hungarians at this time, and they were all talking in a different language and seemed to be arguing about politics and communism. One of the employees for the, one of the doctors visited by Sirhan after his fall states that Sirhan is extremely nervous when visiting the doctor, as if he feels that he's being picked on most of the time and is self-conscious about his small physique. Some research, researchers have named William Joseph Bryant as a potential culprit in Sirhan's programming. He he was a, indeed a physician who founded the American Institute of Hypnosis at 8295 Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles and published the Journal of, American, of the American Institute of Hypnosis, which published scholarly articles on hypnosis. He worked for the CIA's Project Artichoke and MKUltra programs. In July 1961, edition of his journal features an article by Louis K. Boswell, Jr. called Induction of Hypnosis, during the initial physical examination. Boswell describes the rationale for hypnotizing a nervous or anxious patient and claims that 
Hypnosis can aid in the diagnosis of a patient. Boswell writes, <coughs> As will be shown, all the elements for induction of hypnosis are available within the framework of the physical examination. During the initial interview, important emotional sets are made obvious, and physical signs and symptoms are elucidated. These emotional sets, as well as physical signs and symptoms, provide a ready basis for induction. Patient resistance to the induction of hypnosis is thereby removed, and the induction becomes a natural part of the examination. Most important, the use of the physical stimuli of the initial examination removes the anxiety from the physician's mind for hypnotic induction, since all the tools necessary for adequate induction are available within the framework of this initial examination. So according to hypnosis experts, the nervous Surhan could have been hypnotized at any one of his many doctor's visits over the next 18 months. <clears throat> Brian was a well-known figure who publicly advocated for the use of hypnosis in the medical field for years. In April of 1969, the State Board of Medical Examiners found him guilty of molesting four of his female patients and placed him on probation for five years. That's an L.A. Times article from April 22, 1969. September 26, 1966. Larry Heineman picks Sirhan up at the hospital and takes him to his home at 5th Street in Norco. On the way, Sirhan wants to know what happened during the fall. Heineman explains how and why Sirhan fell. Sirhan has no complaints except that he is sore. Sirhan's amnesia may be a sign that the accident was hypnotically induced, with the goal of being a big financial payout. He was already doing trance writings in a completely hypnotized state at this time. There is evidence that Sirhan was unhappy with all Felicia's treatment of the exercise boys, and he could have been convinced under hypnosis, hypnosis to fake an accident to get the insurance money. His exposure to multiple doctors for the next year would then provide more opportunities to give him drugs and do further experimentation. According to Mary Sirhan's FBI statement, Sirhan was hospitalized for six days after his accident, and she, she was not aware of the accident until after he returned home to Pasadena. She must have based the six-day hospitalization on what Sirhan told her of the event. It couldn't have come from anyone else. Dr. Richard Nelson, who treats Sirhan, finds Sirhan's attitude suspicious and observes that Sirhan strongly objected to his intravenous in injection. According to him, Sirhan demands to leave the hospital on the 26th, so is released, he is released at 1.30 p.m. September 28, 1966. Robert Wheeler begins work at the Alphalish Ranch and meets Sirhan. He claims that Sirhan is not allowed to ride the horses for three or four days after his fall, and then is allowed to ride again. Millard Sheets and Milton Holmes claim to see Sirhan at the track around two or three days after the fall. September 29, 1966. Sirhan is seen by Dr. Nelson at Corona Community Hospital again, according to the notes of Dr. E. Gordon Kane. This is five days following an injury for falling off a horse, described very adequately on the yellow sheet, Corona Community Hospital Room Emergency. He was admitted, given a hospital workup. The lacerations sutured and kept overnight. Patient has done quite well. He is in the office today. His wounds have healed and sutures are removed from the chin incision. He has multiple contusions which are healing and make him quite uncomfortable. He should not work for another week after we see him. October 1st, 1966. According to Laura Krauss, secretary at the Granja del Rio, Sirhan returns to work on this day, six days after his fall. October 6, 1966. Sirhan returns to Dr. Nelson at the Corona Community Hospital to have stitches removed. Doctor's notes. 
Patient is now 11 days following an injury from a horseback riding injury. His chin laceration is all healed and it will leave a minimal scar. Patient is fully active and is advised to do light work for another 10 days before he should resume riding. Return if he is not completely well in one month. October 8, 1966. Two days after he's told not to ride a horse for the next 10 days, Sirhan falls off a horse at Granja del Rio. He is treated by John Schlepper at the Corona Community Hospital, and his wounds are minor aside from his eye wound reopening. Sirhan is apparently working daily at the ranch from this point onward. October 26, 1966. Sirhan sees Dr. Nelson once more. October 1966. A paper called Hypnosis and Intelligence is produced for the intelligence community since declassified under FOIA Act. Subjects include inducing trance, post-hypnotic suggestion, self-hypnosis, and auto-suggestion, autogenic training, a form of auto-relaxation, hypnotizability, hypnosis as an operational aid, hypnotizing in enemy combat, the resistant subject, control of behavior in trance. This section discusses experimental cases in which subjects have been induced to commit antisocial acts, accuracy of recall in hypnosis, and other subjects. The paper finds much evidence that a Manchurian candidate situation is feasible, but all the evidence is in laboratory conditions and not in the real world. Fall 1966. According to the SUS final report, at some time in the fall of 1966, Sirhan is seen at the house of Omar Ramsey in Los Angeles with a group of Arab students who are supporter, supporters of the pro-Jordan, pro-Syrian Ba'ath Party, and discuss issues in the Middle East. Among other people seen at Ramsey's house is Faizula Khan. At one meeting, Sirhan becomes angry while discussing how unfair and undemocratic the American system of government can be when controlled by the wrong people. This group of people is also known to frequent Garfano's Tavern on East Valley Boulevard in Los Angeles. According to the LAPD, Omar Ramsey also went by the name Fazl Inyat Khan, and he knew Sirhan socially, attended political discussion with him. However, in other documents, Inyat Khan and Ramsey are described as separate people. Faizula Khan claims that he knew Sirhan but not well. In the FBI's Los Angeles field office files, Faizula Khan believes that Ramsey was an officer in the organization of Arab students. Khan also remembers seeing Sirhan at events in California State College, now Cal State LA, which would have been very close to Garfano's Tavern. These events were small talks given by professors. We now have Sirhan connected to a CIA-sponsored student organization at the home of one of its members. However, in the SUS final report, the LAPD claims that Sirhan was not affiliated with any organizations and they don't interview Omar Ramsey. In FBI files, Faisal Inyat Khan corroborates the fact that Sirhan went to meetings at Ramsey's house and claims it was an understanding that Khan was redacted and it was further understanding that Khan's brother was redacted. Were Faizula Khan and his mysterious brother known to be informants? And who was Omar Ramsey? Inyat Khan remembers Sirhan as a very immature and impressionable, impressionable person, which should come as no surprise to us. But how did he know that and what does it mean in the context of this group of Arabs who, went at, who met at Ramsey House? Was Sirhan easily convinced to believe or do certain things by this group of older and more experienced people? Interestingly, Inyat Khan remembers a meeting for the Arab Students Association at an Armenian church in Los Angeles in late 66 or early 67, which about 200 students attended, presumably including Sirhan. 
This shows that the OAS, which is probably what he's referring to, had a large and active following at the major universities in Los Angeles. November 8th, 66, Sirhan sees Dr. Nelson one final time. He complains of vision problems and is referred to Dr. Paul Nelson, an ophthalmologist. September 8th, 66, Sirhan visits Dr. Milton Miller in Corona, who noted in his own records that he believed Sirhan was a redacted. Miller would not write a letter showing Sirhan's injuries to be serious. He finds Sirhan's vision to be 20-20. On one large redacted page regarding this treatment in FBI files, 14 pages of hospital records are redacted as well. One report indicates that Sirhan is referred to a long redacted page. November 10th, 66. Sirhan's eye wound worsens as the edge of the wound becomes separated from the wound itself. Sirhan does not notice his eye injury until he returns to work and begins to exercise horses again. November 13, 1966. Sirhan quits his job at the Alfalish Ranch at his own volition. November 16, 66. Sirhan goes to work for Dr. for Robert Wheeler Sr. at the Del Mar Racetrack, working as a freelance exercise boy. He is supervised by Larry Peters, the foreman, who notices that Sirhan has no skill as a horse rider. At one point, Robert Wheeler sees Sirhan kicking a horse in the belly, claiming the horse provoked him. November 2266, Sirhan visits Dr. Miller in Corona again. November 2566, Sirhan falls from a horse while working for the Wheelers at Del Mar. November 30th, 66, Larry Peters fires Sirhan from the Wheeler's employment, telling him that he can't qualify as a rider. He has worked steadily since the 26th. December 2nd, 66, Sirhan returns to work at the Alt Village Ranch. On December 10th or 12th, 66, Sirhan either quits or is laid off from the Granja Vista del Rio Ranch because of apparent dissatisfaction with the job. Alfalish believes Sirhan is too timid with the horses to be a good jockey. In December, Sirhan probably moves back to Pasadena and will live there at his mother's house until the assassination. According to his brother Adele, after the accident, Sirhan becomes more nervous and talks to himself while alone in his room. At this time, Sirhan is reading Gandhi. He loses ambition and frequently becomes angry when he sees pro-Israeli news on TV. He lights candles in his room and does Rosicrucian experiments facing the mirror. These experiments seem to be on telekinesis. If Dr. Brown is correct about Sirhan's two weeks of missing time after the accident, it may have happened in December or January. We should remember Brown is using Sirhan's clouded memory as a guide, and perhaps the two weeks of drug-induced testing in a strange hospital didn't occur immediately after the fall. Of course, in the trial, no one thought to ask Sirhan or his friends or family where he was during the winter of 1966 or 7 because there was no reason to. December 20th, 1966. Sirhan visits Dr. Miller in Corona for the final time. Sirhan calls Dr. Miller later and says that if he does not write him a letter expanding his injuries, I will get you. Miller never sees or hears from Sirhan again. Doctor's bills state that on this date, Sirhan stopped treatment without orders. Late December 66, Sirhan sees his acquaintance Robert Prestwood, a racehorse owner, at the Santa Anita track. Sirhan has, Sirhan has been the exercise boy for one of Prestwood's horses, Jet Speck, at the Altfilish Ranch. He tells Prestwood that he will quit racing because of his accident and that he has no hope of becoming a jockey anymore. 
Prestwood does not notice any change in Sirhan. January 1967. It is unclear what Sirhan is doing during this month. Early February 1967. Sirhan goes to Caliente Racetrack in Tijuana with Robert Prestwood's wife, Constance, to watch the Prestwood's horse, Jet Spec, perform in a race. February, April 1967. Sirhan sees a doctor twice a month whose name is redacted in FBI files. He then does not see this doctor for another six months. In the meantime, he sees another doctor whose name is redacted. The doctor who originally saw him in February, April, believes Sirhan is not a stable person and can be easily influenced by others. This shows that Sirhan's mental health has already declined by early 1967. In the trial, the prosecution argued that Sirhan subconsciously caused his own mental decline and programmed himself to kill Kennedy without realizing it. Dr. Brown's findings in 2008 show that this would have been impossible, given that Sirhan has never had dissociative disorder or paranoid schizophrenia. March 1967, the Presswoods call Sirhan to ask if he wants to go with them to see their horse race at Golden Gate in San Francisco. Sirhan is out of town, and he later tells Miss Presswood that he was in San Francisco at that time. March 9th, 67, Sirhan meets with Dr. E. Gordon Keene in Pasadena. Billing records indicate that the patient is still in treatment. March 23rd, 67, Sirhan meets with Dr. Keene again. April 3rd, 67, Dr. Keene examines Sirhan and finds that he is not disabled, contrary to his workers' compensation claim. April 6, 67, Sirhan meets with Dr. Keene in Pasadena. Spring, 1967, Patricia Strathman, whose husband John is friends with Sirhan, states that around this time they are seeing Sirhan frequently while they are living on Maple Street, near the Sirhan residence. Sirhan has lost his interest in things that used to make him happy, and he seems dejected. This is when he gets involved in mysticism. According to Patricia, the fall from the horse is a culmination of all sorts of frustration for him because he said he couldn't be a jockey because of his eyes. She says that Sirhan is talking about mysticism a lot and doing little experiments where he is transferring thought and trying to control people's actions through his mind towards theirs. Sirhan claims that he has succeeded in making his mother get up to go to the bathroom late one night. Sirhan seems very angry about the Arab-Israel situation at this time. Her husband and Sirhan at this time are both very interested in languages, and Sirhan is attempting to teach him Arabic. According to the Patricia, Sirhan is a generous, nice, and very intense. He seems quite intelligent and aware of world affairs. According to John Strathman, Sirhan is studying the occult and mystical bodies with a man named Paul, who Strathman never meets. It is not evident if this Paul is the same Arab friend of Sirhan's who owned George Bailicki $75 and threatened him with a knife in the summer of 1966. During Sirhan's obsession with mysticism and the occult, he obtains books about the subject, such as Thought Control and Its Power and Culture by Annie Besant, Meditations on the Occult Life by G. Hodgson, Your Invisible Power by Genevieve Berend, Masters of the Path by C.W. Leadbeater, Purchased in March 67. The Creative Process in the Individual by Thomas Troward. The Integrity of Personality by Anthony Thomas Storr. The Law of Mentalism by A. Victor Stegna, which he writes his name four times and has no memory of it at the trial. Isis, Isis Unveiled by Madame Blavatsky. Sirhan reads the first volume. May 1967. Terry Welch, Sirhan's closest friend and co-worker at the Altfulish Ranch, loses touch with Sirhan. June 2, 1967. According to Sirhan's trial testimony, 
On this date, he writes a lengthy diatribe in his notebook, in which he claims he will begin World War III as soon as he is given $2,000 and can acquire firearms. The victims will be the president, vice, etc., etc., down the ladder. He wishes to seek revenge for all the inhuman treatments committed against me by the American people. He doesn't remember writing any of it and claims, I must have been a maniac at the time. He says, I must have provoked to the point where I would have blasted anybody. Here we see more evidence that Sirhan was being programmed. It began long before Kennedy's campaign for president, and that the original purpose of his programming was not to assassinate RFK. His programming would have been a project to induce automatic writing, self-sabotaging actions, trance states, and enforced amnesia, and his auditors would have noticed the amazing success they were having with him. When the need to prevent RFK from becoming president arose, there would have been no better candidate for the job. The programmers would have had a two-year record of success with Sirhan if his trance writings from the summer of 1966 are any indication. Keep in mind that the MKUltra program was studying precisely how to turn someone like Sirhan into an assassin as early as 1952. There would have been at least 14 years of research behind this project, not counting psychological research from other countries or institutions unrelated to the CIA, which would have only benefited this kind of research. Dr. Brown, after three years of observation of Sirhan, stated emphatically that Sirhan was not capable of programming, programming himself. June 5th to the 10th, 1967. During the Six-Day War, Sirhan apparently writes in his notebook, Ambassador Goldberg must die. This refers to a speech by Arthur Goldberg, UN amb U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Sirhan remembers clearly that Goldberg and President Johnson were on the side of Israel, and that this upset him. Here, a year before the RFK assassination, Sirhan is desiring the deaths of people who support Israel. Of course, it is not clear that Sirhan actually wrote this at the time of the Six-Day War. It may have been written much later to establish evidence of his madness. Later, Sirhan tells NBC News, Sir, it's not so much the experiences that I really remember. It's the injustice, sir, of the whole Palestinian Arab people. What they have been f faced with for the past 20 years is what moved me. And whatever scars I think I had, sir, when, during my childhood, I think they would have been erased or somehow healed during my life in this country. But after that, during the 1967 Arab-Israeli War, sir, is when they were reopened again, and my own circumstances in this country did not help me to forget them. They helped to... I started regressing to thinking about what happened to me and what is going to happen to the present refugees that were evicted from their homes in and during the 1967 war. He tells his interviewer that this war soured his experience in America, which had otherwise been a happy one. He complains that much of the American media is run by Jewish Americans who are sympathetic to Israel and control the narrative of the conflict. The problem with blaming the assassination and Sirhan's memory loss on post-traumatic stress relating to the Six-Day War is obviously that the assassination occurred a year after the war, and that Kennedy had no tangible connection to the events, and there was no reason to blame him or connect him with the Israeli violence that reopened Sirhan's old psychological wounds. June 67. Sirhan tells his friend Tom Rathke that he no longer that he is no longer associated with the Rosicrucian Order, and that they terminated him because he did not pay dues. Sirhan seems upset about this. He gives Rathke a pamphlet about meditation. Rathke notices a big change in Sirhan's personality since the horse accident. Sirhan had been a jovial person, but is now quite serious. While visiting the Sirhan house, Tom Rathke talks to Sirhan's mother, who tells him 
I just can't talk to that boy anymore, referring to Sirhan. Rathke and Sirhan share an interest in myth- mysticism. Rathke is a mi- minister in the United Spiritual Christian Church in Oakland, and the two discuss theosophy and Rosicrucianism. June 1967. This is the last time Sirhan's acquaintance, Pasadena City College student Craig Bless, sees him. Bless has known Sirhan from around 1963 and has played pool with him regularly at the school. July 3rd, 67. Argonaut Insurance Company computes Sirhan's workman's compensation amount to $2,170. July 24th, 67. Sirhan applies for a job through Pasadena City College at the Distributive Education and Placement Service. He has complained at the president's office about being denied a job application. There are complications with the types of jobs he can have because of his visa status. He's interested in working at Safeway, but is ineligible because of his height and weight and his lack of a four-year degree. He explains that he was a jockey, but his injury prevents him from continuing that work. He has to have his information card from the woman helping him, and when she gives it to him, he rips it to shreds and throws it into the trash, saying this will teach you to underestimate a jockey. August 67. Sirhan attempts... Sirhan attempts to register for classes at Pasadena City College, but does not complete an application and causes a disturbance. <coughs> August 15, 67. Sirhan is examined by Dr. Albert Tashma, who states that, as a result of the above reported injury, this patient did not sustain a permanent disability involving his eyes. September 6, 67. Sirhan is examined by Dr. Robert E. Lewis and Dr. Forrest L. Johnson. Johnston. Both doctors find him to be in good health. Lewis reports, Lewis's report states that Sirhan's bone structure in his skull and back is normal, and there's been no erosion. According to Dr. Johnson's statement, quote, The patient reports that he was unconscious at the time of his injury, although the medical reports that I had available for review did not verify this. At any rate, I found no evidence of a neurological problem at this time. The patient reports discomfort in the region of the facial scars. I believe there is a significant functional overlay that tends to magnify these complaints. The patient reportedly sustained a contusion of his back at the time of his injury and currently has complaints of pain in his low back. Arrangements were made for lumbar spine films and I've asked the patient to return in about one month for re-examination. I believe the patient should be seen again by Dr. Keene for his re-evaluation relative to the scars and complaints involving the left eye. I believe the patient is capable of returning to work as a stable boy at this time. Sirhan describes waves of pain around his left eye. September 17, 1967. Sirhan begins working at a health food store in Pasadena owned by John Weedner and his wife. This is a store the Sirhans have been patronizing since 1964. In September, Mary Sirhan asks Weedner if his wife and his wife if they will hire Sirhan. Weedner needs help on the weekend, so he hires Sirhan part-time. Sirhan tells the Weedners that Israel has taken his home. The rich dominate the poor in America, and that Negroes in America could only achieve their goals through violence. He is angry about U.S. support for Israel. He tells Wiedner that there is more freedom in China and Russia than in the U.S. Wiedner asks Sirhan why he doesn't go to those places, and Sirhan says that maybe one day he will. Sirhan is known by Saul, known as Saul by other employees. Wiedner later recalls that Sirhan was a man with principles. He didn't smoke, he didn't drink, he always said he didn't lie. He often mentioned seeing people of his race being killed by Israelis. He is resentful of the U.S. 
U.S.'s policy because he was a refugee. And he talked about President Kennedy helping other refugees so much, but nothing for the Jordanians. Sirhan writes the following in his notebook. We, the undersigned, we present at the time when John Wiedner came into our home seeking to hire Sirhan Sirhan to work in the real food store. After Sirhan Sirhan accepted the offer of employment, John Wiedner proceeded to set conditions and rules of employment. One of those conditions was, and we remember it vividly, should Sirhan quit his job, he should give a two-week notice of his intention to Mr. Wiedner. And should Mr. Wiedner decide to fire Sirhan at any time, he will give him an extra two-week pay and dismiss him. According, according to the L.A. Times, January 5, 1969, around the time that Sirhan works for the Wiedners, he corresponds with a mystically inclined man in Napa who remains unknown, and that this man will confide, confide to his theosophist friends after the assassination that, quote, the tone of Sirhan's letters had caused him to be fearful months before that Sirhan's mental health was perhaps endangered as a result of uninformed dabbling with mystical concepts, unquote. October 9, 1967. Sirhan visits Dr. Forrest Johnson and complains of that his lower back hurts and that the pain in his left eye gets worse with cold weather. He says he has not been working and his symptoms are essentially the same. He does not make an appointment to return. Dr. Johnson is named as an employee of the U.S. Public Health Service Cancer Control Program in San Francisco in an L.A. Times article from February 18, 1969. As the New York Times reports, reported in 1977, for 11 years, the CIA tested mind-altering drugs, mainly LSD, on prisoners at the United States Public Health Service Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. The money was channeled through the Office of Naval Research and the project ostensibly was seeking a substitute for codeine as a mild painkiller. That's from an article titled, Private Institutions Used in CIA Effort to Control Behavior. October 10, 1967. Sirhan tells Dr. Maurice Nugent that he is unsure when he, what he collided with in his accident, but it might have been a fence. He states that he lost consciousness during the accident and woke up as his face was being sutured in the hospital. Nugent finds no defect to Sirhan's eye. A search through LA Times archives from the era reveals that Dr. Nugent was an eminent member of LA's high society scene. November 1967, Sirhan is allegedly seen at the house of PCC professor named Kim Nafa, where he speaks with quiet desperation about how his father's homeland was stolen by the Zionists. Nafa's letter to the editor of the LA Times from December 28th 1968, expresses opinions that are severely critical of Israel's Six-Day War and the U.S.'s policy towards Israel. November 6, 67, Dr. Leonard Yamshon examines Sirhan and concludes that his injuries are permanent and stationary. Sirhan tells Yamshon that he was missing from work for 